everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. Uh, I am here today with Jessica Matlock. She is the CEO of Lapata Electric Association. It's a co-op here in my hometown of Durango, Colorado. I wanted to interview Jessica because she's one of the most inspiring and articulate, professional, forward-thinking leaders I have the pleasure of knowing. And she's doing really cool things in the power gen industry, changing up how co-ops work. She's going to explain all of that to you. She came to Durango a couple of years ago to take over running LPEA, but she has run uh, big, huge public utilities across the country. She's been involved in the U.S. Senate consulting. Um, she knows about cybersecurity and program and project management, contract negotiation. She just does it all. And she's amazing. And you're going to love this interview. You're going to learn so much from her. So hang tight. And I'll be right back with Jessica. All right, everyone. I'm back with the amazing Jessica Matlick, my good friend and unbelievable CEO. I can't wait for you to meet her today. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carrie. All right. Briefly tell us uh, about yourself in your own words and about what LPEA does. Sure. Let's see. Where do I even start? Um, well, I came to LPA about two and a half years ago. Uh, I grew up in Colorado, but I lived mostly in Washington, D.C. and Seattle, Oregon area and was able to make my way back home. So now I'm with La Plata Electric, which is a cooperative uh, located in southwest Colorado. And we are just embarking on a new future for us where we're going to self-generate half of our power supply with renewables. So we're pretty excited. That's amazing. And have you always been in the power industry for most of your career? So I'd say about over 20 years. Before that, I was actually a scientist. So I began training in oceanography and did a lot of my pre-work in ocean studies. And then I was a land use planner, but then my, made my way to energy. That's fantastic. And so can you briefly tell us what a co-op is? Uh, just so people understand and why it matters in public utilities? Sure. A cooperative is kind of like REI, where everybody's a member, you pay in, and at the end of the year, you get this cool thing in the mail that shows you how much money you have in a dividend. Uh, cooperatives are the same thing. So we are, have member owners, and they help us pay into our infrastructure. And then whatever margins we make, we actually get back to our community. And so it's a really important part of energy across the U.S. There's about 900 cooperatives, and we represent pretty much every state in the United States has a cooperative, but we're mostly located in small rural communities. And it's because when power and electricity was brought to the rest of the U.S., they went to big cities like Denver and Seattle and L.A., and they ignored a lot of these small farming communities. So the farmers and ranchers got together and said, we need energy here as well. And so they were able to borrow federal funding and build out these communities with um, electricity. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And don't think a lot of people quite understand behind the scenes, right? They just expect to, I'm going to flip up the uh, flip on my light switch and, or just tell uh, Alexa to turn on my lights and it works. And they don't necessarily understand where it comes from and really how important it is, not just in cities, but into rural communities as well. That's right. Great. All right. So let's talk a little bit about leadership and, you know, how you run LPEA. 
Do you feel like you face different challenges running a public utility that might be different in a B2B? What, what's different and what's the same? Yeah, I would say with the public utility, uh, we don't have shareholders. And so I'm really working for the benefit of members, which are just everyday people. So I have to keep that in mind. And what I have to keep in mind is that there's really low income folks that can't pay for it. And then there's people that have a lot of second homes. So how do you create fairness in power pricing and programs? Uh, people wanting to put on solar rooftop. A lot of people can't afford that. And so how do you not subsidize the people that can afford putting on solar rooftop? by increasing rates so that the low-income communities aren't paying for it, right? So I think that's just a big challenge that may be a little bit different. I kind of think about this a little bit as like an employee-owned company, right? I have all right. my employees who are kind of my shareholders. You know, how do you navigate that? I mean, are you communicating with members about yeah. what you're doing and what kind of feedback do you get from them? Yeah, so we have town hall meetings a couple times a year. And during COVID, it was all virtual. And yeah. so we spend about 30 minutes updating our community about the bigger issues. And then we open the floor and let them comment. We also have board meetings once a month and those are live streamed. And so members can call in and they can also come in person when we're in person and ask questions. So we also send out monthly newsletters and then we also have an annual meeting. And that's coming up in May, but that's where we bring in all our membership, invite them to come in. We give them the annual report, the budget, and they can ask questions then. I can't even imagine having monthly board meetings. <laughs> I have them like, you know, every other month, every third month, and it's always so much work. I mean, how, how do you manage a board in a public utility? How, how, how different is that? Well, my board is 12 members and... We just, you know, I think they work really well together and it, it's been challenging at some points because everybody has different diversity of thought, but that's what makes us better. But I also have a fantastic executive team. So they are really the workers behind the scenes, getting everything prepped, getting me up to speed on, on any issue such that when I'm mastering a board meeting, either I'm prepped and can answer or I point to them to give the answer. So again, it's, it's a lot of proactive thinking across the year of what topics to bring each month. And we really have to schedule it out because we have to have board decisions at certain times. So I would just say it's a lot of prep work and a lot of teamwork. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's talk about your leadership philosophy. What is it and how do you live it every day? I, well, for one thing is I think it changed with COVID. So there's a few things that, I learned along with my leadership team on leadership is that you can over communicate and you can under uh, create, I, I don't even know if this is a word, but it's like relationships, right? So meaning with COVID, we thought because we were going out of the office, communicate, 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 but then we found that we were doing too much. And so one philosophy around that is that two major forms of communication. And I think why that's important in leadership is because people just want to know, right? And I personally feel the best leaders that I knew were the ones who communicated the facts and in a trusting manner, right? And so we really kind of changed our philosophy where we realized we had too many channels. And so we're narrowing those down. Also, in regards to the relationship component with COVID, you know, I think a lot of people loved working from home. 
But what that created is a loss in relationships and being relational to each other and having that empathy. And we just saw the empathy started going away. What we're doing now is we went to a hybrid work schedule. So we're in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we're requiring mandatory team stand-up meetings once a week so that the entire team can come in under different work groups and they can all just meet together for a quick meeting, talk about issues, communicate, talking points, squash rumors, but creating a little bit more of the relational component that was lost when we full remote worked from home. And again, I know that people love it and so do we because it created flexibility for our parents for, for folks that were taking care of sick partners or parents, it, it helped with that. And, and we're going to keep that. But, it, but we see it also lost that empathy, that connection with humans. So just with philosophy and leadership, I would say that one is empathy and one is knowing that you're not always right. And th through COVID, I think that was also clear is that we'd make decisions and, and you kind of had to take it, your communication from your employees and say, okay, that was the wrong decision and say it and, and readjust. So I just think leadership means not always being right and being empathetic and know when you're wrong and say it and take advice and change direction and having the courage to, to make changes. Yeah. I remember during, oh, probably like three months into the pandemic and making some really hard decisions and just knowing like a decision is going to be right and wrong at the same time. It's going to be right for some people and wrong for others. It's going to help this situation, but make this situation worse. And, and I think that COVID really highlighted that, but that really is so many of the decisions that leaders make every day. There is a dichotomy in, you know, is it the right decision? Is it the wrong decision? Was it the right decision that just didn't give us the outcome that we wanted? Was it the wrong decision, but we still got the outcome that we wanted? And I think that that COVID really highlighted that dichotomy that we face every single day that, you know, it's, it's, it's not always going to work and it might work for some and not for others and, and, and how to navigate all of that. So I appreciate you saying that because I definitely have felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> and so how on back to the hybrid workforce and, and what you're putting into place, how is that being received right now? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, I think there's a contingent that absolutely loves it. And there's a contingent that doesn't think it's fair, right? So we have a fairness issue as well. What is fair? Like who defines fairness? Your fairness is different from my fairness, right? So I think what, what we've learned to do is mitigate, right? Not everything's going to be fair because we define it differently, but you could try to mitigate the situation, right? And if you can find ways to mitigate it and give on certain things, um, that's great. But at the end of the day, what we've also had to do is go to some employees that just will not uh, let it go and say, we're done talking about this. Like we've done X, Y, Z. We hear your concerns. We understand how you feel. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to do this for you, but this is where it has to stop. And at some point you got to get people moving past it because they can get stuck. But so with the work from home, again, people think it's fair, like, oh, you get to work from home. That's great. Well, I, I have to work 100% in the field or wherever. And the other people say, yeah, but you get to go outside, right? 
And and you get to like go by the coffee shop on your way here. Or you get to go out to lunch. I have to sit behind a computer all day long. And so again, it's that perception of what's fair. Everybody has a different view of it. Yeah, we face the same thing here. And the way we've been couching it is about, you know, about job, you know, what's better suited for this job. Okay. This job is 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 actually better suited when you have some quiet time at home to be able to concentrate. And this job is suited to have to be on site. And so, you know, how do we try to create the opportunity for as much flexibility in those different types of roles? But we also really clear, clearly writing out, you know, in job descriptions. And then, of course, as we're having conversations with people, this is what's best suited for this type of role. And trying to get the word fair out of it, because you're right, it's never going to be fair. Nothing in life is fair ever. Even before COVID, it wasn't fair. Before COVID, we had the upstairs versus downstairs split. We had that building versus this building split. But I think people are always looking for a way to compare to each other and compare their roles, their their, their flexibility, their lives. Um, and so talking about job, you know, what's best suited for this job has taken some of that away, but mm-hmm. I don't think it will ever go away. I mean, yeah. it's always going to be there underlying, even if people do, you know, stop talking about it. The people who are really just um, are always going to have that feeling of, Hey, you know, somebody has something that I don't, and they don't necessarily see that the grass isn't greener on the other side. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you going through COVID and the ups and the downs and the things that you've learned. I mean, have you ever lost your way maybe during COVID or, or before? And if so, how did you get back on track? And if not, how do you keep yourself on track? Yeah. I mean, I, I would assume that everybody loses their way at some point. Right. And you wonder how do I get back? And, and, uh, I think, I think the first point of that is to realize that you're off track, right? I think most of us go along thinking that everything's great. We're right on track and things are perfect. And then you're like, oh my gosh, everything's like burning down and I'm not, it's like out of control. What's happening? And I think you have to take a step back and say, was I really right on track? Right. And I'm not always right. And so I think that, you know, even before COVID, I could point to certain points in my life where I I saw that I was off track, but I didn't realize it until everything was crashing down, right? And then you're wondering, what is happening? And then you have to really have this kind of look into yourself and your soul and say, you're not always right. Like your, your pathway is not. And so it's okay though, because everyone makes mistakes or everyone loses their way. And it's also giving yourself some grace. And so what I think it is, anytime that happened to me, I would search out uh, people to help me, right? And go to people and say, give me feedback. Like, how did you perceive this? What do you think we're doing wrong? How do you think we could do this better? Um, I just fully believe in teamwork and having a strong team behind you where you can say, I need your honest input so that you don't get off track. Right. And you always will. But at least you can have people that you trust that know that they have your best interest in mind that you can go to and say, what what did I do or how did this go badly? And I just think that that's that's the best way to go about, you know, finding your course back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. And I think you're right. Everybody loses their way. And having that accountability will help you maybe not you know, maybe pull it back, back onto the tracks a little bit sooner than, than you would. I mean, I know that's how I've certainly experienced it. 
whenever I've all of a sudden gone, oh, wait, this isn't what I want. And I'm the same way. It always, you never see it until it comes up and smacks you in the face. And then it's so obvious. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yes, I clearly was, you know, out of my lane or not focused on the right things. And how did I miss that? And so, yeah, I appreciate the, that accountability piece and getting feedback. I think that's a really important aspect. Do you think people are comfortable giving you feedback? You know, we've had that conversation with my team and I think they've, I think how you accept the feedback makes the difference, right? So I think that if I took the feedback and then didn't make any changes, they wouldn't be comfortable. Or if I got the feedback and I, you know, got mad at them, they wouldn't be it. But I think you have to show humility, a lot of humility and show measurable change once they give you the feedback. But it just depends on how you take it. And I'm finding that they, they give me more feedback, the more that I acknowledge it and I do change with it. And yeah. maybe there's something, there's some times where I get the feedback and I'm like, ah, you know, it's, that's, uh, they perceived it incorrectly. But that still tells me that I didn't do a good job communicating why I did the thing I did. And so then I knew, okay, I know it, that was the right thing, but I didn't communicate it well. I think that's such a good way to put it because, you know, there's a little bit of truth in all feedback, even if the, the place, you know, where it's being directed or coming from might not feel accurate. I literally just had this conversation with somebody the other day who was blowing off feedback saying, I don't do that. That doesn't feel true to me. And my advice was, was assume that it's true. And even if, even if, it's a misunderstanding if you go and explore and seek to understand, you're going to be able to, to, to course correct or to build that relationship or just to have a better understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I made him go and, and ask a bunch of questions. And I think he came back. He was like, yeah, you know, there was a little bit of misperception in there, but there was a little bit of a blind spot that I was having. And I think he just, if you always just assume that there's some truth in it, you're going to set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much better than just denying it and saying that doesn't feel right. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it. Some feedback should be ignored, but most of it has a little bit of truth too. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right. So how do you buy, get buy-in? What's your approach, especially with having members, your executive team, a 12-person board that is re-elected frequently? I mean, there's a lot of churn and change going on um, with the dynamic in a, in a, in a cooperative. So how do you get that buy-in? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, it's it's a lot of prep work and it's information sharing and it's it's being well organized, right? So for example, the power supply change we made, which is huge. We spent um, a lot of time doing preparatory work and spending a full day with my board talking through the issues, but it's it's almost bringing them along with you, right? And it's also understanding people's expectations and then setting expectations once you get to the decision. And I think it's also saying what part is the board or the community or my staff involved in the decision making and what's their role in that decision? I hope that makes sense. But it's, it's like I could go into a room and say, okay, well, I'm going to hire another VP and I want everybody's input, but I'm the final decision maker, right? And so I think that just gives people a good expectation of what's going to happen so that at least they were part of the decision-making, but that I was ultimately going to make the call because they were my direct report, right? 
on power supply, it was a little different. It said, we want as many people to look at this and kick the tires as possible so that we're not missing something. But I think the buy-in was more the fact that we did so much teamwork effort that my entire team was on board with this decision. And we had spent two years looking at it and then going to the board. We've been frequently updating them in these last two years. And so again, it's bringing them along, but taking their input and feedback, right? And while we're the energy experts and they are not, it's okay because they still have perspectives and diversity of thought that we may have missed. And so that's what's also important is acknowledging that while they're not an expert in that, we do value uh, this diversity of thought aspect and say, you're a business owner, you don't know about energy that much, but we want to hear what pitfalls and experience you can bring to the table. And so I think that's what brings a buy-in is that they were involved in that process. And, you know, back to this, the shift in power supply and, and where you're going from renewable, re renewables. Do you feel that LPEA is on the leading edge of where this is going for rural communities? I mean, I'm sure you're probably proud of the work that's been done and, and where you're going. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, this is one of the first co-ops in the U.S. that has partnered with their big power supplier to create this partnership in a partial contract, which means we're going to get 50% of our power from our this kind of parent company who provides wholesale electricity. And then the other 50% we're going to get from ourselves. We're going to self-generate locally. And in the cooperative model, that's not normal. Most cooperatives get all their power from a thing called a GNT, which is a generation and transmission cooperative. And to break free of that parent-child situation is very difficult. It doesn't happen very often. And so uh, there was an option of either staying with our parent or leaving completely. And we, we thought, why can't there be a compromise in the middle of the road? And so that's what we've been working on for the last two years and finally got to an agreement. We still have to get approval from the federal government because they regulate this energy company, but we're hopeful that we'll get that this summer. But yeah, this is, this is a new partnership and a new model that other co-ops can invest in across the U.S. Fascinating. Very good. Thank you. Well, and congratulations. Thank You're you. You're such a pioneer. <laughs> I think it's just the wherewithal to get it done, right? <laughs> relentless. Yes, I know that you're definitely that. <laughs> uh, speaking of that relentlessness and what it takes to do something like this, you know, how do you handle the pressure of your job, especially where power is so politicized these days? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's not taking things personally. You know, I don't. I actually don't do a lot of social media. I don't really go on Facebook or others because I think that sometimes you could get wrapped up in it, especially when people are saying nasty things about you. Uh, when I was first here, there were people saying bad things about me personally because they were scared of change, right? And so they lash out on social media. And I just couldn't pay attention to any of that at all because it can bring you down. And I think that you have to stay focused on the greater good and the goal and knowing that you see the vision and where it will benefit and that most people don't have that bigger perspective. And you just have to put that negativity aside and think positive, right? I think, you know, I, I take walks along the river in Durango. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, ride my bike. 
spending time with my family outside, I think you have to make sure you have the balance, right? And you can turn off your brain for a bit and, and, and relax and take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Two final questions and then I'll let you run. I know you have places to be. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Wow. Okay. Reflect Forward. You know, I think it means for me personally is take everything I've learned, the, the ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, and make sure I learned from the past and then go forward and think how I'm going to use the skills that I've learned, the feedback that I've gotten, the mistakes I've made to make better decisions in the future. Yeah, beautifully said. All right, and if you had one piece of advice to give leaders who want to be exceptional at what they do, what would it be? Have humility. <laughs> Get rid of your egos. You know, we, we got here maybe out of luck or an opportunity or we worked really hard for it. But just know that there's other people in the wings that could help you succeed and to have empathy and humility and bring those people alongside with you and take their advice. Yeah, I love that. Um, I always tell people that CEO, that's just three letters, you know, besides my name. It means nothing. I'm just a normal person like everybody else. And we all need to remember that. So I think that that's really great advice. Yeah. All right. So how can people find you? Well, remember, I'm not on social media. <laughs> they can find me through you or lpa.colop. I like looking at everybody else's stuff, but. <laughs> are, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Yes, you can yeah. find me on LinkedIn. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'll include that all in the show notes. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. This has been uh, a really fascinating and inspiring interview. So thank you so much for your time. You bet. Thanks, Carrie. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on that interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Jessica's such a, a great person and an amazing friend. If you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, subscribe to it, share it. I really appreciate it. It always helps in the algorithms. And uh, I look forward to hosting you next week on Advice from the CEO and Reflect Forward. Thanks. Have a great day.